Today's program was made possible by the generous prayer and support of the faithful friends and partners of this ministry. Visit our new website at Sheila.media. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zelensky Show for this Friday, August 17th. We are so flying through the month of August. I was still trying to figure out where July went. Boy, oh boy, it's just the the summer has gone by really fast. Hey, listen, I have some exciting news. Monday, former CIA high-level intelligence operative Kevin Shipp is coming on the program. So that's just a heads up. And then that's my last day for the month. I'm going to be gone away to New York. And boy, I thank God for that invite to go preach in New York. Considering our air quality emergencies, you should see the ash falling in my city. We're under a total evac. It's not just the forest fires that are burning all out of control in California. It's the firefighters all in BC. In fact, today I just got a weather alert that said that we have the worst quality officially today have the worst air quality on planet Earth. Can you imagine that? So I'm going to be really asking you folks to be lifting this situation with the folks from BC and California up in your prayers, please. All of BC is practically on fire. So this trip could not be more timely. Talk about wonderful timing from God when we're under this evac. This trip just all kind of fell together. I'm telling you, it's going to be really powerful. So join me in the Big Apple for a powerful evening of prayer, deliverance, healing. It's going to be an incredible time time, myself, along with Rich Keltner from Watchman Radio, another very powerful man of God, as well as we are joined by an incredible powerhouse. She might be one of the most powerful prayer warriors and ministers on the planet today, and I'm not saying that lightly. It is Dr. Sabrina Sessions. She has a ministry out there in Jacksonville, Florida. You often hear her on with the amazing Pat Holiday. She's very involved in that ministry as well. So we're really blessed to have Dr. Sabrina out in New York. So the three of us are going to be in New York. So if you know anybody in the Big Apple, or if you're close by yourself, come out and join us. That's Friday, August 24th, 7.30 p.m. for powerful prayer, healing and deliverance. It's going to be such a powerful event. And come and see me. And I'll even bring some copies of Power Prayers, and you can pick them up there. It's going to be a very powerful night. And if you have any questions, you can phone 1-800-600-6384. That's 1-800-600-6384. Tell your friends in New York. Now, I'm going to give out the address here. So if you've got a pen, grab this. I'm going to give out the location of where we're going to be at. Again, it's Friday, August 24th, 7.30 p.m., 203 East Pulaski Road, Huntington Station, New York. That's 203 East Pulaski. That's P-U-L-A-S-K-I Road, Huntington Station, New York. And one last time, the phone number, one 800 600 6384. And if you have any questions, you can email me. The contact form is over there at www.sheila.media. You can see all my contact information there. So you have any questions, get a hold of me. But otherwise, we'll see you out there. I'm looking forward to going to the Big Apple. 
If you live anywhere close to there, you are in for an incredible treat. So come out and see us then. And of course, I'll talk more about it at the end of the program. I want to jump into the show because I'm really anxious to introduce you to my guest today. He's not been on the show before. He was highly recommended from Gary Stearman. He's a missionary and just a really insightful, incredible man of God. And I was really looking forward to getting him on the program. I'm halfway through his book, Crippled Christianity, The Last Church Age Revelation. What do you think of that title? It's a lot to live up to, which usually books half an hour session. So we'll see if we can get him for a little bit longer. It is Mr. Demery Green. Demery, listen, welcome to the program, sir. It is a pleasure to have you on. I know you have a lot to teach on with your time. So get into this. Throw me back the mic when you're ready, sir. Okay. Thank you, Sheila. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to share with you and with your audience. I've spent a about... 40 years working in engineering. And uh, so it's given me kind of a perspective of of wanting to make sure, you know, every piece falls together the way it's supposed to. Uh, And so I retired here last year, and this is what I retired to, is to tell people this story of the gospel. And you might think, well, we've heard all the gospel, you know, for so many years and through so many people. But this is a different perspective on the gospel, let's put it that way, that has been kind of lost and needs to be put back in place. And and I say it's lost and put back to place because this is what Paul talked about after he got done talking with the Jewish population and having to shake the dust off of his feet and take the gospel to the rest of the world. When he did that, uh, he had a little bit different take on the gospel because he had some more revelation. Enough, in fact, so that he called it his gospel as opposed to the gospel that everybody else was hearing. And the, the difference was that he had a revelation of Christ in you or in us, the hope of glory. That's the way he put it. In several places, he put it, characterized it as a mystery. In Ephesians, he calls it the, the fellowship of the mystery. That was all he wanted to do was make people see the fellowship of the mystery. Another place he called it the mystery is, talks about us and Christ. And so that's what it's about. But the problem is, because it requires some revelation, you have to go beyond just the regular religious talk. And what I've found and what I want to communicate to people is that, and this may sound sound like a lot to say, but there is nothing religious about salvation. It sounds like a big, a big statement, but that's the truth. We're so used to uh, hearing the religious conversation, and I call it the standard view, for lack of a better term. We, we hear all the conversation focused around Jesus and the cross and fulfillment of the law of Moses. We know that we don't have to, to do that anymore. But Paul presented it as Corinthians 5.17. says, that anyone is in Christ is, in a new, is a new creature. And when he talks about that, he talks about it as that word means a new species of creature that never existed before. And so that's kind of a big jump for a narrative that revolves around vicarious punishment. Before Jesus returns for us, this is the function that I have out there that I've said before me, is to show people the details of their conception as the believer in Christ. And there are so many angles and tie-ins that never get addressed 
just by concentrating it on the standard narrative that we've heard. So that's what I'm all about. For a long time, I've, I've known this, what I'm telling people, for 30 years, and it's been really frustrating because I knew the time wasn't ready until now. And one of the reasons that it hasn't been ready before now is, uh, you remember, Jesus talked about a, uh, well, there was an occasion when they were going by a fig tree, and he looked for, for, for a fig, and there was nothing on the tree. And so... He cursed the tree, and the next day when they came back, his disciples were just really astonished because the tree had dried up from its roots. Well, there's a principle there that explains all of what we're seeing in the world and the reason why I have to get this across, and I call it the fruit and root principle. God judges the fruit, but he treats the root. And what we're seeing is that principle in the world, you know, back in the scriptures, you know, the mystery of iniquity works already. So it was already working back then. But here's the principle behind that. The fruit of Satan's meddling with humanity is coming to full fruition. And those are the things that we see going on in the world. It's people think about Jesus just telling us, oh, just look for wars and rumors of wars, you know, in these last days. Well, there's so much more because salvation really is not just God's need for punishment. It's about conception. There's a, what I want to call a magic number. I know there's no magic in scripture, but in quotes, there's a magic number that Paul talks about in Galatians when he talks about, he says, points out that the law didn't even start out, wasn't even introduced until 430 years after Abraham. Yet the whole promise is said that it came through Abraham, that we are the heirs of Abraham. So this puts it again back to, well, wait a minute, is God fair or isn't he? Because if everything revolves around the law, quote, then if it wasn't even introduced till after Abraham, how are we the heirs of Abraham? Did Abraham keep the law? No, because it wasn't. It wasn't even given till 430 yeah. years afterwards, exactly. you know? Yeah. And that right there just begs the question, well, how can God be fair if everybody's held to this standard of the law, but it wasn't even introduced till you know, 430 years afterwards? And did Noah keep the law? Oh, did anybody in the Old Testament before Moses keep the law? Did Adam keep it? Well, no, but it wasn't given to him. I mean, there are a number of things about the law that we've missed. One of them is we have the um, legal conception, let's put it that way, distinction of civil law and criminal law. And so everything's been put into the category mold of criminal law. Adam sinned. And so it all goes back to what happened in the garden. You know, it goes back to God's first instructions to Adam. The instruction was don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, when we hear that, it's always been in the, in the context of criminal proceedings. In other words, our understanding of that is God saying, if you eat this, you're done, you're toast. But our understanding of that has been limited to thinking God saying, if you eat that, the undertone is, I'm going to kill you. But if you have kids and they're there's an age about two or three or thereabouts when your kids are you're, they're small enough that they can't see over the counter. 
but there's an age where they can reach over, and that's the age that you got to child-proof your house, you know. But think of it this way. Your kids at that age are always into everything. They just want to be underfoot. They just want to be in the middle of whatever you're doing. So picture this. Mom's in the kitchen. She is cooking dinner. She's got the oven on, the, the stovetop on, burner on. And she tells the three-year-old or two-year-old, listen, don't reach over there because you'll get burned. Well, that's essentially what was going on in the garden. Adam was an innocent. He had no clue what was out there. You know, we know from looking backwards that just what Peter wrote, you know, Satan is walking about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And we don't appreciate there was a previous history before before the garden. Satan was already in rebellion. And whatever was going on with that rebellion, the Bible seems to tell us the earth got destroyed. There was cataclysmic things going on. And that's why God had to remake the earth. Because he told Adam, replenish the earth. You, You can't replenish something that wasn't something there in the first place. That was a caution for innocent. He had no clue that the devil was already put a target on him. When that happened, the issue wasn't that that God had to punish him. I mean, history would have been a whole lot easier if God just took Adam to the woodshed, gave him a thrash, and said, okay. But something else happened. People don't under, with our standard narrative, they have no clue what the real problem is. And if you don't know what the real problem is, you don't understand the fix for it. And here's what's missing. People don't appreciate that there are, we've got two different dimensions going on. We've got the physical, but people think, oh, that's all we see. That must be it. But there's also the spirit dimension. And so when the devil intimidated Adam, by deception and Eve into eating the fruit, there was, number one, it was, there's a principle here that I call gang warfare. And Jesus voiced it and Paul talked about it when he said, whoever you yield yourselves as servants to obey, you are that person's servant. Well, they didn't have hired servants. They had slaves. So what it's describing is whoever you can intimidate or deceive into yielding to you, you get his stuff. And essentially, that's what happened. The devil intimidated and deceived his way into controlling God's creation and did something to Adam and Eve that made them slaves and all of their offspring. So you need to think of it in a different perspective, too, because this is a big perspective of a family tree, okay? And what happens at a family tree if it gets poisoned at its root. We're looking at what happened to Adam, but we can also find out afterwards that death entered by sin, and the devil had the control of death. So what's what's missing is, and you'll find it in the Gospel of John, really. People need to look at it in the Gospel of John. Look up the word life, and you'll find two different words used for life. One of them talks about physical life, and in the Greek that's suke, and there's spiritual life, and we've heard that word zoe. But because they're both translated as life, nobody ever made the distinction, and there's a world of distinction between them. One of them, you can summarize the gospel as relates to the Mosaic Law in John 10.10, for the, the enemy comes to, seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So that word there for life is 
Zoe. That's what we're, that's the whole point. That's what we lost. And the fix for death is life, not punishment. So, but in, in other verses, there's only eight places in the gospel where the word suke, which means physical life, respiration, you know, physical, you die, you're out of your body. And every place that, without exception, every place that occurs, it's, it's basically Jesus saying, I'm going to give my life, physical life, in order that I can get my life, eternal life, zoe, into people. So one is for, one is into. Now you've got to keep that in mind because back in the garden, something happened to Adam and Eve. It's interesting, I don't speak Hebrew, but there are a few things that are absolutely pivotal to see that you can learn from a Greek lexicon. And one is that in the beginning that the earth became not void and without form. Well, in our version, it just says it, it was without form and void. But sense of the Hebrew there says it became, so something happened. There was a change. When it talks about Adam and Eve, they knew that they had become naked. The same thing is happening there. And if you don't see it, you entirely missed all of what was happening afterwards. Because if you look on the, think of what happened, what we understand happened, they're told that this happened with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was just literally clothed with the glory of God. People could hardly stand to look at him because of the light. Well, if you think back or project that experience back to the garden before things went just horribly wrong, Adam and Eve were clothed with the glory of God. And when they ate, it says they knew that they had become naked. Well, they were, physically, they were just as naked before as they were after. But something changed. The glory of God departed. And that's how they knew they had become naked. Well, what happened to them? It was more than just the glory of God departed. It was the very thing that God had cautioned them about. Death entered their bodies. It may have taken another 930 years before death finally overcame the perfection of God's original creation before his body died. But if you look at the um, Hebrew intent of when God said, in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die, the real sense of that is that God was saying, dying spiritually, you shall surely die physically. So here's what I'm trying to get at, is that the threat is not, just disobedience, but the threat was an introduction, what I call it as people talk about spiritual death in kind of a nebulous kind of way, but here's what it is. Spiritual death is a trans-dimensional biogenetic virus that has been introduced into our genetics. Now listen, and here's the thing, all this time our genetics at the very core has been corrupted. People need to look at, here's a verse that shows what the problem is. In Ezekiel 16, verse 6, uh, God says, When I walked by you, I saw you corrupted in your blood, or polluted in your blood, as King James says. And I said unto you, live. So the problem is not punishment, because punishment isn't going to change our genetics. If you've got a donkey, and you want him to be a horse, all the beatings in the world will not change him into a horse. It's a matter of genetics. And our family tree has been polluted, corrupted by this trans-dimensional biogenetic virus that we have no defense against. Because everything that comes from the spirit dimension essentially is, I don't want to say eternal, but, but from our view, you know, is open-ended. And so we have no, apart from spiritual life, which is inherent in God, we have no, no uh, 
defense against it. And so the only way to save the family tree was to introduce that life or eternal life that only God has in himself back at the root. But the problem was we're living in a physical dimension, in a physical material dimension, and there are four dimensions to it. X, Y, and Z, if you want to put it that way, and time. And time only goes one direction for us. And the other thread there is the thread of authority. Now, we, after, from a point of looking backwards, we talk about the authority of the believer. Adam was, had all authority on the earth before Satan got his hands in there. So, in effect, Adam was the created God of this earth. And he had a commission, actually a twofold commission to fill the earth, multiply, repopulate it, and subdue it. That's an interesting commission because if there was no threat to the earth or to the world, God wouldn't have told him to guard it, to keep it, and to be on guard against something. So so right in there in his commission, there was the understanding that there was something out there to guard it from. His total commission was not to weed the garden. And so when... Satan took control through intimidation and deception. That's when he became the God of this world. And not only did he take control, he took Adam's commission. And his Adam's commission was to fill the earth and subdue it. And Satan has been doing that with everything he's got ever since. Uh, so the problem is that there's this virus that has been genetically passed from generation to generation. And it's that death virus that has been working inside of us as a family tree. And it it also defines not only the problem, but defines what the solution is. Because if that blood contains our DNA, and it's that DNA that has transferred that death from one to the generation to the next. And it's also defined how God can get into us again. Because that, that DNA is part of our blood. It all goes back to our original creation. Remember, we are created in the image of God. And so that DNA really includes the definition of what we are, who we are. In fact, that DNA that's in our blood, uh, if you want to think about it, not only does it contain the image of God, I mean, it is the image of God in terms of our physical creation, physical side of us. And so that's kind of like, wow. We've heard different people talk about Satan trying to corrupt the image. Well, that's why, that that goes back, back to the very beginning. That's what Satan all this time has tried to corrupt, is the image of God. The image of God is contained in our genetics. And so that genetics, that image, is guarded. Just like a, uh, you know, you put something of value into a safe box, and you keep the key. Well, that original image or the Spirit of God in the DNA is included in the mitochondrial DNA of our blood. And I knew a lot of this together, but the one thing that brings it all together, in a sense, is biology. If you don't understand genetics and biology, again, you don't understand what's going on, the real thing happening, and what salvation is. The problem is that spiritual death, and it's working through the flesh, but... God has got the original image guarded in our mitochondrial DNA. And the one controlling thing about our biology and genetics is that, you know, we know that two cells get together, we're adults, 
We know what happens to get us here physically. But every time that happens, the male and the female parents each contribute their part of the physical the cells. But an amazing thing happens that people don't have never really appreciated the power of. And that is that when conception happens, the mitochondrial DNA, and that's like the DNA, separate DNA that's at the very center of the nucleus of a cell. So that's the way we're created, you know, as a physical being, but inside is the inner man, soul and spirit. It corresponds to the spirit, the innermost part. And that mitochondrial DNA is passed intact without any change from mother to child. Now, if you think about it, there's something just absolutely mind-blowing there that explains everything about salvation, everything about what God's doing with us. <clears throat> because we think about it just in terms of crime and punishment, but in the bigger issue, there's a war going on. And in this war, we are just simply ancillary damage, collateral damage. And so when that mitochondrial DNA is passed from one from mother to child, think about it the other direction. That same mitochondrial DNA that your mother passed to you, her mother passed to her, and back the next generation, and back the next. And you follow it all the way back to Eve, which means that that mitochondrial DNA is like God's lockbox, genetic lockbox. That is like the original image, the original pattern that God used for creation when, he breathed, when the Holy Spirit breathed life into that inanimate earth, clay. That is the key to understanding everything about God's program. Uh, some people would look at it as a recreation, but in the 24th chapter of Matthew, when Jesus is trying to tell his disciples what's going to happen in, in these days, in the end days, he puts it in a very revealing, concise term. He tells them, in the regeneration, you shall sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So this is not, this whole thing is a regeneration. It's a regeneration of the family tree. You could think about it as a tree that's been poisoned at the root, but there's one healthy leaf left. There's still life in the tree, but it's only in that one leaf. So the problem is, how do you get that life that's in the one leaf all the way back to the roots? So the whole thing, the whole program is God's regeneration of the family tree. But the, the good news and bad news kind of, of it, the challenge was kind of twofold, I think. One is that time, because from the moment that Adam said okay to what Eve had done, in effect, God was kind of like on the outside looking in. And in effect, Satan became the controller of the world. Satan became the controller of humanity as his slaves. And so God had to find a way to get into the inside again. In other words, go to the end to find out what the beginning of his challenge is. We know that somebody asked Jesus, well, what didn't understand it? And Jesus gave him the bottom line. Here's the bottom line, and we know it. You must be born again, born of the Spirit, for that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so poor Nicodemus, when Jesus heard that, it just made his mind tilt. It also makes people's minds tilt today. But it, it defines what the solution is. The solution is a new conception. And people haven't seen the reality of what they can do, the reality of themselves as a totally new species, a 
of being is just completely lost on people because they they can put two and two together and know that when somebody tells them it equals five, they know that there's something funny in the story. So when the, the narrative has been God needs punishment, and if that happened vicariously, then you're okay. And the result is you're born again, a new conception, you're a totally different species of creature. The rational mind says, okay, that doesn't really add up, but if I'm okay with God, I'll believe that and go on. So that's why people have a powerless faith life, because they don't really understand who they are. And in effect, it has totally given them a wrong picture of God. Now just just think of it, subliminally, that message is telling people. Subliminally, that message is telling people everything that God demands has to, as a, as a, he's absolutely just, as just God, and every sin that you've ever done, somebody has to be punished for, whether you or vicariously somebody else. And no matter what it was, how big or how small, the punishment is the same, and the punishment is death. That goes back to misunderstanding, you know, the sense of what was happening and what God said in the garden. That makes God the author of death, not the author of life. And to say that God is the author of death, but he's also the author of life, uh, it just shows confusion. And so if people think that, okay, everything revolves around God's punishment, essentially the message is subliminally, everything God did to Jesus, he would have done to you. Over the worst sin you did, murder, let's say, or the least one, jaywalking, you know, illustratively. Whether it was in the class of murder or jaywalking, God would have punished you equally for that. Now, what kind of, and then we say, now, see, God is a, God loves you. God is a God of love. And yet, subliminally, do those two things really just make you want to run to God? Not really, because it just leaves open doors for the devil. Open doors for thoughts like, okay, uh, what if I did something bigger than what I've done before? Is that good enough? You know, is that still going to cover me? And the problem is that, that we've misdefined sin when the problem was sin as that transdimensional biogenetic virus. And so the fix, like I say, the fix for death is not punishment. And so one of the things is we got to appreciate that we are two-dimensional beings, physical and spirit. But think of the, the problem. If you think of the problem as that spiritual death, we are living as a spirit, as our inner man. We are living in a pool of corrupted blood. And so that's our individual problem. That's where all the sickness comes from. So in order to get to the core of us individually, God has to get to your spirit. The conception that we're talking about is a joining of two spirits, Holy Spirit and your spirit, just like natural conception is the joining of two cells. But he has to get through through the physical material realm that's being controlled by the devil in order to get to your heart, get to your spirit. And there's an interesting thing in Hebrews that gives us the key. And interestingly enough, it talks about the words. Says the word is powerful, even in the dividing asunder of soul, spirit, joints, marrow, discerning, deliberations, and intents of the heart. If you look at that, it's saying one set of things has association with the soul. One set of those things has an association with the spirit. And associated with the spirit is the marrow. And that's where the blood is made, the marrow of the bones. The marrow of the bones, in other words, the blood, 
is the access to your spirit. It's like the doorway. But along with that entrance is one other thing that people don't understand of the blood. In the Old Testament, the first blood did not start with the Mosaic Law. The first blood that was shed started with Adam. Remember, what was the what was the fix, the, quote, physical fix that God had to put in place? He killed an animal, skinned it, made the skins for, for them. Now think about it. This was not a nice, nice piece of tanned leather. This was still warm, bloody skins, and that's the beginning of the blood covenant, the beginning of the animal blood. And the other thing that gives us the... The revelation of what the whole thing, how the whole thing works, is uh, Leviticus 17:11 uh, says, "I have given you the blood on the altar, and that blood is an atonement for the soul." And so here's where the wrong perspective has just blinded people, because we've been told, "Well, that blood is just to keep God from seeing sin." Now, come on, we know everywhere God says, "I know your thoughts even before you think them." You know, everything that you've ever done is open before God. It's not to keep God from seeing sin. God knows it's there. He knows it was hap- what was happening from the very beginning. The function of the blood, Old Testament blood, animal blood, it says, was a gift. So it's got to be something good. If it's a gift, it's on the altar. So it has something to do with salvation and it's a covering or an atonement for the soul. The problem is we think about it as God looking out when it should be God looking in. Think of it from the other direction. It's a protection because that that spiritual death, that virus, is being passed in our DNA, in the physical body. But if it gets into the spirit, it's game over for us. Like I said, we don't have have any defenses against things from the other realm. And so that blood trail through the mitochondrial DNA, that's why all the gospel writers take pains to make sure they can trace the lineage clear back to Adam, because if anywhere along the line that trail had been destroyed or or wrecked, there would have been no way for God to get to the root of our family tree and reintroduce the life there. That's why Genesis 6 is so important to understand with the giants and Nephilim. That was Satan's big device to corrupt the blood. If he could corrupt everybody on the face of the earth, their blood, there would have been no way for God to get back through and reach the root of the tree or Adam. So that's pretty sobering to think that we came within, what, eight souls of never being able to get back to where we were, God not being able to reach us. So that's pretty sobering. So it's a blood trail all the way from Jesus back 4,000 years. If that had been been interrupted anywhere, it would have been game over. And it could have been interrupted in two ways. One, if the the physical blood, our our genetics, had been corrupted, clear to the level of the mitochondrial DNA. And the other way was if he could get people to substitute other blood for the covenant blood. In other words, every time they offered blood to uh, sacrifices to all these other, quote, gods, that essentially took that person out of the ability for God to reach them. And so think of it as a as God being able to go to circumvent or to go backwards in time when we're on a we're on a one way street, highway. That's what life is, one way. But there is no time in the spirit. So if we are in as an inside as a spirit being are living in a pool of corrupted blood and the fix is God's got to get back to the root. The only way for him to do it was 
through someone who still had the original image. That's why it's important to understand the necessity for the virgin birth, because God had to use that original image, that original definition to create Jesus' body and to use it to go all the way back through the blood to reach Adam, to, in effect, regenerate the tree, family tree, from the root and do it out of sight. That's what a mystery is about. Paul uses the word. It's not something that you can't know or God doesn't want you to know. It's just something that's done out of sight. And our clue to that is that Paul writes in one place about uh, Jesus who, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to cleanse our conscience that we might serve the living God. So the thing there that is people miss is that whatever was happening, it was in the spirit. It was out of sight. So if all we're limited to is deducing what happened by what we see or saw or heard, then we're missing what really was happening. So we got to understand that whatever was happening on the cross was happening in the Spirit. And whatever was happening there was fulfilling multiple strands, multiple requirements. Nobody but the Jewish population signed on to the Mosaic Law. Gentiles didn't. So there were some requirements that happened as that was necessary that affected the Jewish population. And there was something else that was effective from Adam on. We talk about justice since I mentioned criminal versus civil, but we talk about Jesus as a priest and, and Paul talks about him as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was pictures priest forever. That's what Psalm 110 says. And so that pictures Jesus as a priest forever. In other words, everybody from Adam forward, that's what he was representing in that capacity. But what has been entirely missed was that there was a priesthood that was introduced with the Mosaic Law. We know there were the Aaronic priesthood. There are all the sons of Aaron. But by the time Jesus arrived, that was totally corrupt, totally useless. But there was one other priesthood that was defined that people have not have not recognized. And it's been right in front of our eyes the whole time. The fifth and the sixth chapter of Numbers tell us two different things. One talks about the uh, unfaithful wife. Well, we know Israel was the unfaithful wife corporately. And in the other chapter, it talks about an, an alternate priesthood. In other words, a, a Nazarite. They were the only ones besides the official priesthood that could offer a sacrifice. The kings couldn't do it. And when you look at some of their requirements, they didn't cut their hair. They couldn't touch anything that was dead. They didn't, couldn't drink the strong drink, or in other words, wine. Well, that's been right in front of us all this time, and we didn't see it. Where was Jesus from? He was from Nazareth. He was a Nazarite. At the very last, at the last supper, the things that were right in front of us, I mean, even during his ministry, he never touched a dead body. He raised Lazarus with his word. He raised a couple of dead, uh, you know, other dead people with, not of himself, but if you look at it, it's his prayer cloth, his chalice. But the main thing that should be just right in front of us is just like when Jesus told them that I he was going to prepare a place for them. He said, and I will not drink the fruit of the vine with you again until I drink it with you in the kingdom. Well, what is that a picture of? The Nazarite priest. So as a Nazarite, he was fulfilling everything that had to do with the Mosaic law. And as a Melchizedek priest, he was doing everything that had to do from Adam. And two quick um, references, and you'll see where that comes together also. Um, in Second Samuel, 
7:14 and in the 89th Psalm 30 and 31 verses. Basically, it tells us that if David and his son Solomon, and if Israel, by extension, did not keep the law of Moses, he said, "I will visit you with the stripes of man." Now, this is a this is a big whoa for our picture here because that's telling us that all the beatings. The stripes, the 39 stripes, that was not a universal punishment for sin. Specifically, it was to punish, as a vicarious punishment for Israel for not keeping the law. And the bottom line is, a baptism is that it's an immersion. It was Jesus immersing himself in the Spirit, by the Spirit, through our blood, to go back 4,000 years to, to touch us, introduce life. And there's so many more details that if you need it, if you need to get the book. You need to go to my website at www.seethemystery.org. And there you'll be able to get, there are two books available. My first one is uh, an older one, but the one you need is the last one called Crippled Christianity. And uh, those are the details there. Because without, without that, you don't even know the details of your own conception. Now, Jesus is the seed of the woman, and the devil is fixing, is trying to create his seed. That's what's going on today, all of this that we see. God has immersed us in his life, and that's the fix for our emergency. Yeah, Jesus Christ is the fix. It really is a seed war, isn't it? That's good. Yes, absolutely. Listen, Demre, it's such a pleasure to have you on the program. I know your time is really limited. I know you took more time than usual. One more time, give out how they can get Crippled Christianity, the book, and your information on how they can get it, please, sir. Yes. When people go to the site there, they need to get the book, Crippled Christianity, The Last Church Age Revelation. You can do it through PayPal. I'll send it to you. And in fact, I'll even sign it for them. At the same time, they're on that site. There are reprints of four articles that I did for another ministry magazine. And uh, they can read those there. And then they get the book because they will need to get all of it to get their understanding. It will absolutely, you'll find out, oh, that's why things are going on in the world like this. Okay. The website is www.seethemystery, just like three words run together, seethemystery.org, O-R-G. And the name of the book is Crippled Christianity. The subtitle is even more important because the subtitle is The Last Church Age Revelation. The Last Church Age Revelation. And it's interesting because I said, I told God, I don't want to do this book. Read with him. <laughs> I know that feeling. And I said, if you want me to do this, you got to give me the title the cover, and the cover so that I know what to go ahead. So he gave me the title and the cover and the first page. And uh, it wasn't until I got about halfway through, I got the picture on the back of the book. You need to look at the picture on the back of the book because that's even more important because that's a picture of the rapture. And it wasn't until I got about halfway through, I got the picture on the back cover. And as I finished, the more I got written, the more it changed until when I finished, I got the back, the total back picture. This is the last revelation, and I don't want to say anything that anybody will get, as a general, you know, defining church revelation. This is the last thing the church needs to know before Jesus comes back. Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, not a cowering church. Amen. Once you read this, you will you will understand the power that you have. You won't be wanting to let the devil run your life anymore. 
Yeah, and the word tells us some things are not going to be revealed until the very last days. Yes, absolutely. And this is like, basically, you know, Daniel, God told Daniel to seal things up until the time of the end. This is the fulfillment of that. We think of it as, okay, all these evil things going on, we finally see what's going on, but now we need to see what God's doing. Yeah, amen to that. Boy, everybody's so focused on what the enemy is doing. It is very important to look at what God is doing. Folks, the book is Crippled Christianity, The Last Church Age Revelation. The author is Demery Green, and his information's linked there at seethemystery.org. Thank you, Demery, so much for taking the time to lay this out in the program today. God bless. All right. Thank you, Sheila. I sure appreciate your time and the ability to get a message to all of your listeners. God bless you. Folks, that was Demery Green. The book is Crippled Christianity. The website, seethemystery.org. A lot of Christians don't understand this stuff. And so maybe you're super awake, but a lot of Christians, they're not awake to what is going on. Get a copy of Crippled Christianity. Get a copy for one of your friends that is in the mainstream church. You know, another important thing, folks, that people are missing out on is spiritual warfare. That is not being taught in the church. You know, earlier in the program, as Demery was talking about something, I thought, isn't it amazing that God gives us the power tools? I'm not talking about Husqvarna here. God gives us a powerful arsenal, so many tools. We have charge of the angels. We have dominion over the earth. There is crazy smoke going on. Don't think me and my prayer group haven't been taking dominion over those raging fires and loosing torrential downpours. There is powerful witchcraft that comes against God's people, folks. You don't think witches and wizards can manipulate weather? Come on. Nobody bats an eye when witches say they know how to use their abilities. Guess what? We have far superior weaponry, but looking at the church, you'd never know it, would you? No, you wouldn't. You know why? Because God's people are not equipped. And I believe right now, in fact, I I decree this, that we're in a season where God is raising up a mighty army. There is a tsunami. Revival is coming. I don't care the naysayers and the doom and gloomers that are out there saying, no, there's no revival coming. just judgment on America and blah, blah, blah. Listen, God waits for his people. God waits for his people. But yes, there is a cutoff point. You know, people say, why isn't God moving? God is moving. But God also moves through the prayers of his people. That's why we wrote power prayers. Carl and I wrote power prayers, warfare that works. Why? Because it works. It's not a sales pitch. I already have these prayers. These prayers are for the people of God to distinguish that warfare prayer is different than prayer. Prayer is when you're praying to God. You're addressing God. Warfare is when you're addressing the enemy. And we cannot leave that out, folks. Well, Sheila, how do you do warfare? I don't have a clue how to do warfare, you say. Well, guess what? You need to get power prayers. Warfare that works. That is an arsenal that everyone should not be without. And you can just go to my website to get it. Get multiple copies of this. This isn't our book. This is a book straight from the living God. And there's other prayers that we have wrote since that you can get for free over there at Power Prayers on the Facebook page. Like my Power Prayers Facebook page. I just, in fact, put up an incredible prayer for husbands. This is going to change things with all your husbands. This is powerful stuff. The wives one is going to be up there later this week. And again, folks, I don't want you to miss this. I want to repeat, if you can get out to the Big Apple, come and join us. It's going to be a powerful, powerful time of God. Receive a prophetic word. Get healing. Get deliverance. Meet some folks for fellowship. It's going to be a very powerful time. And as Rich said, all you got to get is to the Huntington Station. So... 
They're going to be picking people up from the Huntington Station between 7 and 7.15. If you have any questions at all about the Friday night service, well, get a hold of us. Phone 1-800-600-6384. That's 1-800-600-6384. Get a hold of us. In September, I'm going to have a new feature added to Sheila.media, www.sheila.media. I'm going to have a new feature called Events. I am speaking in, hey, for all you folks in Canada listening, I'm speaking in Lloyd Minister on the 28th through the 30th in Lloyd Minister. So, of course, that information will be there. Make sure you're following my Facebook page. I post all this stuff on that as well. It all gets posted over there at the Weekend Vigilante Facebook page. And then I'm out in Tampa, Florida, and then Georgia in October. So October, mid to end October, I'm going to be in Atlanta, Georgia, Tampa, Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, all in one week. So definitely be watching for events. That's a new feature coming to www.sheila.media. Listen, if you want me to come out and speak about this at your church, we'll come and talk. If you want Carl and I to come and talk about power prayers, boy, you want to see some people get some deliverance. We don't charge anything for admission when we come. We don't have a speaker's fee. We just ask that people take up an offering. That's all we ask. We don't even charge a fee. And in certain cases, we don't even ask for our accommodations to be covered. We just let God worry about those kind of details. You know what? God does the part we can't. So listen, Monday is the last show with Kevin Ship, former CIA. You do not want to miss that show. That's going to be very powerful. Kevin is a believer. He's awesome. This guy is amazing. And I ask you to really be lifting Kevin Ship up in your prayers, folks. We'll see you on Monday. And then I'm out of here. We'll see you New Yorkers soon. <laughs> and thank you so much for tuning into the program. God bless you all. Good night.